Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice. And now it's time to Ask Dave. You'll remember that every once in a while we get calls or emails from our listeners telling us, I've got a question or I've got a beef, whatever it is, we love to hear from you and I love answering your questions. And I've got two questions, both of which came in via our website, that's criminalinjusticepodcast.com, hit the Ask Dave tab, and both of these excellent listeners asked terrific questions about our episode 119, that was our interview with former Chief Cedric Alexander. Now, you may remember Chief Alexander, former Chief Alexander, that is. Uh, He'd just been all over law enforcement. He now works as a consultant. He's an author. He had a lot to say about this moment in policing. And one of the things he talked about was that old saw we hear so, so often right now, it's just a few bad apples that are causing the problem. If we have organizations where we see bad apples and we don't do anything about them or we slap them on a wrist, but we see the behaviors over and over and over, then we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong with our organization? The few bad apples, that's right, they're the problem. Well, I got comments about this and I really want to read them to you. The first comes from listener David. He's from New York City. And here's what he says. I was surprised and disappointed that you did not call BS on Dr. Alexander's reframing of the bad apples argument. I guess his take is an improvement on the bad apples excuse. He puts responsibility with the departments or barrels that tolerate the bad behavior. What this reframing still doesn't address, though, is that even setting aside the egregious cases of police violence, it is evident to me that the culture of policing across the country is hostile to the citizenry. It's not bad apples, but a fundamental problem with the way policing is done. Police officers are trained to view citizens as targets. They are trained to circumvent citizens' rights in order to garner arrests. They, meaning police, as a matter of policy, not a few bad apples, have regularly violated citizens' constitutional rights to assembly and free expression. One thing that's remarkable to me is how we see examples of uniformly bad behavior from department to department across the country. There is so much consistency you can start to feel as though it's a national conspiracy, but I expect it is because of cross-pollination between departments, the same professional organizations, the same trainings, the same conferences etc. That's the barrel that's rotten. It's at the core of how police operate in the U.S. I would think Dr. Alexander would be in a great position to speak to that. David, great, great comments here. I find a lot to stimulate my thoughts in your comments. Uh, If you've been listening for a while, you know uh, I kind of feel like David does about that whole bad apples thing. It isn't bad apples. It is the bad barrel. But I think what David is saying is we have to look even further than that. It's the whole culture of policing across the country. Um, and, And that takes a deeper dive than even just one department. 
and I really find a lot to recommend this view. Um, and in my book, um, A City Divided, uh, published this year, I have written about police culture. And believe you me, it is the toughest thing to tackle. It is the toughest thing to change. I mean, we're all very good in my business at coming up with a, an idea for new and better policy or new and better laws or procedures. But here's the old saying in law enforcement, culture, organizational culture, professional culture eats policy for breakfast or lunch. And that, I think, is what David is pointing to. Unless we change the overall culture, which is about seeing citizens as a kind of hostile group or as the enemy, citizens, quote, as targets, that is the real problem. And so often, I really think that that is true. Not with all police departments and certainly not with all police officers. No, no way. But it's deep enough and widespread enough that that is something that simply must be addressed. You do see it across different police departments in different states and jurisdictions. David, thank you for that excellent comment. Real food for thought. The second comment I'd like to get us to came from listener Dan uh, in Reston, Virginia, and he says, Dave, thanks for the interview with Dr. Alexander. Dr. Alexander clearly articulated how, quote, a few bad apples spoil the bunch. However, he didn't go far enough. We as a society are to blame for the policing we have. It's not the chiefs. It's not the mayors. It's not the city council. It is us. I'm referring specifically to the issues related to department funding vis-a-vis -vis labor rules that provide generous protections to rank-and-file officers in exchange for lower wages. Contract negotiators are trading work rules for cash because we, the public, won't fund increased budgets. It's always about lowering costs, quote, doing more with less, and heaven forbid, the almighty tax dollars. Policing won't improve until we can get rid of the bad apples, and we can't do that without getting rid of of the work rules. We can't get rid of the work rules without something in return, and that would be money. We can't give more money without increased budgets, and we can't increase the budget without increasing taxes. So we, the public, need to get over this, quote, low taxes rhetoric and pay for the society we want to have. Again, Dan, thank you. Excellent, excellent comments here. Um, I, I want to disagree just a little bit. I do think it's the mayors and the city councils in addition to us. It isn't really the chiefs. They're not really that involved in the details of labor contracts. But it is the city government and the unions that make those collective bargaining agreements. Now, I want to make clear I am in favor of collective bargaining and unions for people in any industry or business that wants to establish a union. Uh, I think those are good things. I think they have raised and protected the middle class where they've been strong. But Dan is right here. He is right on the money. Cities have not wanted to pay the extra money they need to have good benefits and wages go to police. Or they would probably tell you, we don't have the money because, as Dan says, they're unlikely, don't want to, whatever, raise the taxes necessary to pay for them. 
So what have they done instead? They have traded off parts of the disciplinary process to the unions, which they have gladly accepted. Not entirely, perhaps. The chiefs and the departments are not left with no uh, nowhere to go when they have an officer misbehaving very badly, even committing crimes. But the unions have become so strong in the disciplinary process that it is very, very hard to get rid of even your worst officers. I mean, you go like I sometimes do to police professional association meetings or trainings where I talk to officers. And then you wait until the end of the day when everybody is uh, at the big bar and they're just socializing a bit. And you stand with a bunch of police chiefs at a table. You sit down with them. And the inevitable topic is I fired this guy because Uh, You know, he did this terrible thing and I got him back. And the next chief will say, well, I fired a guy for X. It's even worse. And I got him back. Why? Because the disciplinary processes have become far too favorable to protecting the worst officers. And Dan has identified exactly the process in which this happened. Cities not wanting to actually pay good wages and benefits or finding themselves unwilling to raise taxes instead have given away big pieces of the disciplinary process. And the result is we get police departments in which the worst officers come back. And that sends an inevitable message to the rest of the department, the good officers, the ones who are you know, doing the, 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 the job the proper way. That guy got caught stealing, and here he is. That guy got caught doing a sexual assault, and here he is. Right. So who in that kind of department would come forward and report the misconduct by another officer? If you know it's not going to change anything, that person is going to come back and maybe be in a position to make your life hard. Right? So this is a deeply important issue, and I thank Dan for it. It even goes beyond this. You know, uh, one of the things we learned out of the terrible events in Ferguson in 2014 when Michael Brown died, uh, that became not just an exploration of what happened in that particular confrontation, but also the whole uh, scenario of a police department like Ferguson, which exists in Missouri, all over the place, but not just in Missouri, all over the country, in which police departments and even the justice system gets funded through fees and fines that are levied through imposition of ridiculous low-level offenses and tickets and all kinds of other fees and fines on the poorest people in the community. This makes their lives a living hell. It takes them out of being able to earn a living. It does all kinds of damage. And why? Because we won't pay for a real system. Instead, we insist that police officers go out and harvest that money through giving out multiple tickets. So the problem is even the same on that level. That's it. That is Ask Dave. And you can ask Dave anytime you want by going to our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. Find the tab that says Ask Dave and give me your question. I'll give it a shot on the air. Uh, You can always help by supporting us too. Uh, You'll find that information on our website as well. We are member supported and we really appreciate those who have donated. I'm David Harris. I'll be back with you next time. Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Josh Rollerson. 
Find show notes and past episodes at criminalinjusticepodcast.com. <laughs>